Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Arizona's voters will decide on two statewide ballot propositions this fall. This week, we examine both. Mail-in ballots are already making their way out across the state, and early voting sites have opened in some areas. On the ballot this year are two voter-created measures. We'll start with Proposition 208. Arizona voters will finally have the chance to weigh in on the so-called invest-in-ed ballot measure after the state Supreme Court knocked it off the ballot two years ago. As Jake Steinberg reports, the measure aims to make up for lagging state funding with a tax on the wealthy. Teachers unions and education advocates are campaigning hard for Proposition 208, which they say will help address Arizona's teacher shortage. Here's what it would do. Starting next year, high earners would see a 3.5 percentage point increase on their income tax. The tax would apply to income over $250,000 for a single person or married person filing separately, and to income over $500,000 for a married couple. The collected revenue would go into a special fund for public school districts and charter schools. The schools have to spend the money on staff and salaries. Lisa Millard, an English teacher at Amphitheater High School, says that money would be a lifeline to districts like hers, which is struggling to retain teachers and bus drivers. It is set up to be a direct funding source for the people that we need in classrooms. So 50% to teachers, 25% to support staff. Arizona is consistently ranked near the bottom of states in per-pupil funding, and Prop 208 supporters point to cuts made to education during the Great Recession that still haven't been fully restored, which led teachers to take to the streets in the 2018 Red for Ed protests. And basically funding cuts equals pay cuts, because the bulk of a budget in a school district is people. The Prop 208 tax is estimated to generate over $800 million in its first year, according to the legislature. That's about 13% of what the state spent on education this year. If we don't increase the funding, we are going to continue to lose people out of the profession. We're going to continue to not be able to get new people into the profession. And of course, the impact on that is students are not getting quality professional, well-trained educators in classrooms. Over a quarter of the state's teaching positions are vacant, according to a survey released last month by the Arizona School Personnel Administrators Association. Half of the positions are filled by long-term subs, or teachers working overtime. But not everyone thinks a tax on the wealthy is the right way to fund education. There's no other state in the union that takes the most volatile tax bracket and says we're going to dedicate this portion of it to K-12. Sean McCarthy is with the Arizona Tax Research Association, a group that advocates for efficient government fiscal policy. There's this notion that there's a lot of persistent millionaires and that's who's paying the tax, and that's not accurate. Who shows up into these brackets are successful businesses who have had a particularly good year, and you never know who that's going to be. He says that means the revenue will be unreliable. And under Prop 208, small businesses that file under the individual tax rate would pay a higher tax rate than corporations on income above the measure's threshold. He says a better way to fund education is by growing the economy, something he fears the new tax will make more difficult. Ted Maxwell with the Southern Arizona Leadership Council agrees. Arizona's economic growth has been driven in a large part by companies moving from higher tax states to Arizona. And our concern is that's just taking 
one of the advantages we have over many other states to continue to drive our growth. Maxwell says he agrees education in Arizona needs more funding, but it should be up to the districts how to spend the money. But Governor Doug Ducey's 20 by 2020 plan to raise teacher salaries by 20% hasn't materialized for that very reason, according to a report by the state auditor earlier this year. The legislature didn't mandate the extra money go to teachers, so many districts spent it on other things. Millard, the Amphi English teacher, says without quality pay, Arizona students will continue to miss out on a quality education. There isn't another funding source, and we know that funding has eroded in the state of Arizona, and this was the only avenue left. Public opinion appears to be on her side. A recent Monmouth University poll found two-thirds of registered voters support Prop 208. For The Buzz, I'm Jake Steinberg. Ben Giles is a reporter with KJZZ in Phoenix who's been closely tracking the ballot propositions this year. We asked him to remind us what happened to the last Invest in Ed ballot measure in 2018. With Invest in Ed, it's important to remember that this is years in the making. Um, this kind of uh, grew out of frustration uh, that we first saw in the Red for Ed movement back in 2016. Teachers, uh, other educators, families frustrated with the state of education funding in Arizona. So in 2018, a lot of these same groups, Invest in Ed, came together and pitched an initiative, tried to get it on the ballot, but it was actually blocked. The Supreme Court ruled that the way they wrote the measure could have uh, legitimately been confusing to voters as far as what the actual impact of that measure was to raise funds for K-12 public schools. So, you know, beaten but not defeated, here they are back again, successful this time, and they got a measure on the ballot. So for people who do remember that last measure, how is this year's measure different than the last one? So this measure focuses on uh, income taxes. It focuses on a tax for wealthy Arizonans. We're talking a surcharge for uh, individuals making more than a quarter of a million dollars a year. Families, if you file jointly, half a million dollars a year. Uh, that would be a 3.5% surcharge on income above that amount. So not all of your taxable income would be affected by this, but income above 250 or a half a million dollars. That would be the tax hike, and that would raise uh, millions, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars for education, the advocates say. Education is one of those issues. Lots and lots of people talk about it. What are the chances of this actually passing uh, now that voting is underway? Well, if the polling that we've seen on this is to be believed, it is a very popular measure with the public. That is a part of the reason why it was so frustrating for the proponents of Invest in Ed in 2018 to watch the Supreme Court kick their, their attempt to raise funds off the ballot because they, they knew they said, this is something the public will support and vote for. Um, but there is, a, a, there is a, a strong opposition movement to this um, from the business community, from the Arizona Chamber of Commerce, who characterizes it as a, a tax on small businesses. Uh, Governor Doug Ducey is vocally in opposition to this as well. Um, proponents say, what have you done? What have you come up with as an alternative? And, and that's a big driving force behind this, is that people feel like the legislature and the governor have not stepped up 
to come up with solutions, long-term, big picture, big ticket funding solutions for education. One of the groups who is opposing this is running ads that's saying the problem isn't the amount of money that the governor and legislature put forward. It's how it's being spent. Too much money is going to superintendent salaries and not into the classroom. Is that a truthful ad? When I'm at the Capitol, I hear a lot of Republicans talking about money in the classrooms. Um, and they say audits that the, the state is required to do of school districts that show how much money is spent, perhaps on things like teacher salaries and how much money is spent on things like administrative. But the other piece of that and what Invest in Ed points out is there's a lot of funding that goes to education that is supportive of students, supportive of teachers, supportive of classroom learning that doesn't necessarily make it into the classroom. Things like books, desks, maintenance, that's kind of the gray area that doesn't always get talked about as much down at the Capitol. And, and that is something that holistically Invest in Ed is trying to talk to people about, that it's not just about salaries for teachers. That's a big part, but it's about all these other expenses that added up make for a great school day for kids. Why has education funding been so hard for the legislature to get passed? You were down at the Capitol full time for a long time. Do, do they even try? It's talked about. But a big part of the conversation, and, and remember, Republicans control the legislature, both chambers, the governor's office. So if, if something education funding-wise is going to happen, it's going to be a Republican born and bred. And there's a lot of lawmakers at the Capitol who feel like uh, people are maybe ungrateful, feel like they aren't recognized for what they have done for education. Um, but it's it's tough to pitch that to the community who can look and see where Arizona ranks as far as education funding nationally. And whether it's 46, 47, 48, it's always somewhere in the bottom 50 of the states. Um, and that's a pretty distinct number that the proponents of InvestNet can latch onto and say, you know, we're we're not we're we're sick of you telling us what you've done when we see the potential for what you could do. And, and again, these initiatives, so often we hear it, it's a, it's a matter of frustration that the legislature, that your elected leaders at the Capitol in Phoenix aren't getting the job done. The initiative process lets you do it yourself. There is the election protection uh, provision in Arizona's constitution, which keeps the legislature from changing things passed by the citizens without a supermajority in the legislature. But we saw, for example, with medical marijuana, where the uh, state government was able to, able to use the rulemaking process to slow down the implement, implementation of that. Is invest in ed, if it passes, one of those things that the governor or the legislature could try and use a rulemaking process to slow down? You know, we, we did see that after medical marijuana was approved in 2012, but what we also saw is uh, eventually the the will of the people, so to speak, will take hold and will, will take precedent because this is a, a constitutional right that Arizonans have. Um, it, it is very near and dear. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a part of the state's history and it's not something that I think even most lawmakers take lightly. So I would never rule out some sort of uh, shenanigan to try to 
to try to upend this process. But um, I, I think the in this case, because Arizona voters also approved, as you said, that voter protection, um, which would require legislatively a three-fourths majority to change this law. If this is approved, um, I would expect to see those dollars start funneling towards schools without much delay. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Chris. That was Ben Giles, a reporter with KJZZ in Phoenix. When voters head to the polls this November, they'll decide on a marijuana legalization initiative. The last time Arizona voters were faced with the question was 2016. Elisa Resnick looks at what Proposition 207 would mean for the state and those who are for and against it. Medical marijuana has been legal in Arizona since 2010. This year's Smart and Safe Act, or Prop 207, looks to decriminalize recreational use. If passed, adults 21 and older could legally use and buy the product and possess it in limited quantities. A similar measure narrowly failed in 2016. Prop 207 spokesperson Stacey Pearson says the new bill is informed by criticisms of its predecessor. Most important example is the criticisms from the business community who thought that the 2016 initiative did not go far enough in allowing employers to prohibit use. The bill states employers in Arizona will retain their rights to a drug and alcohol-free workplace. The bill also lays the groundwork for a recreational marijuana industry in Arizona. The initiative would give the Arizona Department of Health Services the power to license recreational storefronts, production facilities, and grow sites. Products would carry a 16 percent tax, the same as alcohol and cigarettes. Pearson says revenue from those sales will translate into more money for the state, beefing up funding for institutions like community colleges and the Arizona Teachers Academy. And so voters understand what they're deciding. Do you want marijuana sold in a store where someone's checking an ID and it's regulated and you know what's in it and it's tested and it's taxed? Or not. Prop 207 also prohibits direct advertising to children and teens. Driving, flying, or boating under the influence will remain illegal. But those who oppose the proposition argue those protections don't go far enough. Cindy Hamill is a spokesperson for Arizonans for Health and Public Safety, the leading campaign opposing Prop 207. It does nothing to address the increased dangers on our roads and actually weakens current DUID laws. The marijuana industry is a major funder of the Prop 207 initiative. Hamill says the state's medical marijuana operators will have an immediate monopoly on recreational storefronts. She also argues the bill is not explicit enough about employers' rights, advertising parameters, or a baseline for police to determine whether a driver is dangerously intoxicated. There is currently no roadside device to test THC levels on the spot. Pearson says law enforcement officers are in the final stages of developing such a tool, and the bill leaves room to implement it. But Hamill argues that and other changes would be hard to implement because of Arizona's Voter Protection Act, which makes it hard to amend voter-approved measures. You know, if they wanted to just decriminalize recreational marijuana, they could have written a one-page document. But they wrote 17 pages of changes to Arizona law that affect almost everyone. Arizona is one of four states with recreational use bills on the ballot this year. Washington and Colorado were the first to pass bills in 2012, and nine other states have followed. Seattle-based travel writer and longtime legalization proponent Rick Steves says the last decade has given states time to work through the kinks. When we were legalized in 2012, we didn't know how it would play out, but we assumed it would be good. Now we have a track record. There's no question about it. 
Steve says at first, Washington leadership was opposed to the bill, but current Governor Jay Inslee feels differently. He's glad we've taken a $1 billion black market and turning it into a $1 billion legal market that's providing employment, especially in rural parts of the state where we need more employment. In Arizona, proponents argue Prop 207 will bring about other important changes in criminal justice. That includes a requirement that at least 20 percent of recreational storefront licenses go to owners from communities negatively impacted by drug policy. The bill would also provide a pathway for an estimated 200,000 people with felonies for low-level marijuana use to have those charges expunged. Proponents like the ACLU say that would help reduce racial disparities in drug charges. Polls show it will be a close vote. One September count from Phoenix-based OH Predictive Insights shows support at 46 percent and opposition at 45. For The Buzz, I'm Elisa Resnick. Will Humble is the executive director of the Arizona Public Health Association and previously served as the director of the Arizona Department of Health Services. He says the Arizona Public Health Association will not take a position for or against Prop 207 because some of their members believe the risks of Proposition 207 outweigh the benefits and some think the opposite. So let me just go through some of the thinking, uh, not just among our members at the Arizona Public Health Association, but public health professionals generally. Number one, marijuana use is clearly harmful for adolescents and young adults, so those folks that are under 23 years old. There's biomedical reasons for that. There's actual you know, real-life consequences from consistent marijuana use in your adolescent and young adult years that have detrimental effects um, that can last for many years. And it's clear from other states that have put together retail marijuana initiatives that no matter what it says, and even though the fact that everyone needs to be 21 to buy at one of the stores, that it clearly makes it easier for adolescents to get access to marijuana for recreational use. And so in that way, a retail marijuana initiative like 207 creates a public health harm. On the other hand, I think the critical mass in public health believes that the marijuana laws as they're currently constructed, both in Arizona and in other states, but in particular in Arizona, have harmful effects on public health. And the reason for that is that when adults of any age are uh, arrested for and enter the criminal justice system for possession of small amounts of marijuana, it creates a public health harm. People end up in the criminal justice system. They end up having to pay all sorts of court fees in Arizona, possession of even one joint is a felony offense. So it's a class six felony. And class six felonies have a permanent um, impact on your ability to support yourself and your families. And so in that way, the criminal justice portion of our laws as they exist create a public health harm because, number one, it remains a felony. And felony convictions impair your ability to make a living which hurts the social determinants of health for families. And in addition, there is, I think most people would concede that there is racial bias within the criminal justice system and that persons of color are disproportionately charged with and convicted of possession of small amounts of marijuana, which, as I mentioned, a felony offense. And so 
because of the criminal justice reform elements within Prop 207, there are many of our members that believe that the public health benefits of Prop 207 outweigh the risks, which, as I mentioned, include uh, the fact that marijuana smoking and marijuana use among adolescents and young, young adults is clearly harmful. I found it interesting in some of the research that you all put on your website, one of the, the positives you pointed to was another public health issue, and that's opioid addiction. And marijuana could help a, a wider availability of marijuana, it was being argued, could help reduce opioid problems. So as you mentioned, we, uh, we opened up earlier this year, we asked several intern uh, teams to come up with a public health evaluation. And those evaluations are up on our uh, Arizona Public Health Association website. Uh, and, and, and some of the arguments include uh, that there is some evidence that as people, because number one, I mean, the, 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 the number one reason why people use opioids is to control uh, severe and chronic pain. And there is, and marijuana is clearly useful for uh, uh, helping people who do have severe and chronic pain. Now, obviously we do have a medical marijuana program in place, but, uh, and I will concede, I was part of the problem on this, uh, the fees that are charged by the state are put up a barrier as well as the, uh, you know, the, the requirements that there be a medical evaluation to sign a, a medical marijuana certification. And so the retail program as envisioned by Prop 207 would remove some of those financial barriers for people that would like to use uh, marijuana or cannabis instead of opioids for their severe and chronic pain. So the medical program still exists. And so, you know, what Prop 207 would do would make it easier and less expensive for people who would like to manage their chronic pain with uh, cannabis rather than opioids. You were head of the Arizona Department of Health Services uh, when um, the, the medical marijuana was passed, as you mentioned. One of the arguments against all of this is that this is a citizen initiative. The legislature will not be able to change anything should it pass. Uh, since you were in state government the last time one of these sort of went through, is that a valid argument? Well, it, yes, it is a valid argument. Voter initiatives, uh, once they're passed by the voters, are extremely difficult to change. It, it, they can be changed. It takes a super majority of both houses of the legislature uh, to make a change. And the Medical Marijuana Act has been changed a couple times. There have been, I think, three or four successful bills that have made it through the legislature that actually made real changes to the voter initiative. And so in our state constitution, it intentionally makes it difficult for the state legislature to make modifications to a voter initiative. And, I, and by the way, I like that. I and mean, there are some people in state government that really did not like voter initiatives. I wasn't one of them. I'm, I believe in direct democracy. I think it's a good thing that we have that in our constitution. And by the way, you know, there have been many things in public health that were directly attributable to successful voter initiative. Uh, Prop 204, which expanded Medicaid back uh, 20 years ago was one of those. The Smoke Free Arizona Act of uh, 2006 is an example of a very good public health program uh, that, would, that was never able to be successful in the state legislature. So while it is true uh, that it does make it difficult to change a voter initiative, it's not impossible. And it has happened um, with the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act 
this isn't the first time a recreational marijuana initiative has been on the ballot. It got close last time, but it didn't quite get there, obviously. Do you think the climate is a little different in Arizona or this uh, particular initiative is different enough that uh, this time it's got a, a chance of going? Well, I think it definitely has a chance of going. And I think in particular, one of the things you just mentioned is the reason why, which is the demographics of Arizona are changing. There are new people moving into the state from other states with that have experienced decriminalization and have seen that it's not the end of the world. So there's new people moving in who are, uh, you know, who, who have who've seen what retail marijuana looks like and they're not bothered by it. Another thing is that new voters turn 18 all the time and they overwhelmingly support this kind of criminal justice reform. Again, I'm not so sure all of these young people are crazy about retail stores, but they don't like the fact that possession of one joint is a felony offense and it can ruin the ability for somebody to make a living for the rest of their life. And so I think a lot of young people see that and think, you know what, this makes perfect sense to me and vote yes. And so all the new voters that turn 18 every year are overwhelmingly yes voters on a on a, a Prop 107 type initiative. Um, and, and, and as I mentioned, the, there are people moving into the state that are coming from other states like Colorado or California, and they've seen that it's not the end of the world when you have retail stores. So, uh, so I think for those reasons, the demographics have changed. And, I, and, and the other thing is they're running this on a presidential election year where turnout has a good chance of being higher than normal. So I think all of those things put together make me confident that Prop 207 is actually going to pass this time. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to spend some time with us on this. My pleasure. That was Will Humble, the executive director of the Arizona Public Health Association. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our election coverage, including major races, candidates, and issues on our website, news.azpm.org. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org, and you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening, and remember to vote. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.